Welcome to Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history, brought to you by the State Historian and Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. In this first episode, we open with what it's all about, a look at the big picture with Connecticut Explored publisher Elizabeth Norman, editor Jennifer LaRue, and state historian Walt Woodward. That's me. Next, there's a story inspired by the fall 2015 issue of Connecticut Explored on our state's history of philanthropy. We visit Lebanon's historic town green to tell the little-known story of how so much of its distinctive preservation is the result of the philanthropy of New York financier Hugh Trumbull Adams. It's great history you'll want to hear. Welcome to Episode 1 of Grading the Nutmeg. Welcome to the first installment of What's It All About? This is Jennifer LaRue, and in this segment we answer the question, Why a Podcast of Connecticut History? This morning we are speaking with Elizabeth Norman, publisher of Connecticut Explored Magazine. Welcome, Elizabeth. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. <laughs> Such a pleasure. So tell us, you're launching this podcast. Um, how'd that come to be? What was your thinking? <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> Who are you working with on this? Let's We're all there. about storytelling, as you know, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. So we just saw, we, 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 we want to do that storytelling on multiple platforms. We want to hear it. We want to read it. We want to live it. We want to be out in the field with it. We want to be immersed in it. So that, we thought, what better than a podcast? Well, I think a lot of people are going to appreciate that line of thinking. First of all, tell us the name of this podcast. It's called Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history. And can you explain that one to us? Well, as anyone who's a reader of Connecticut Explored knows, I abhor <laughs> calling Connecticut, people from Connecticut nutmeggers because I don't think it's very flattering. But we like... Uh, we we like the idea that this was uh, about grading that nutmeg, about you know digging a little deeper and uh, getting below the surface and maybe scratching an itch and all those uh-huh. kind of good metaphors that come out of the idea of grading the nutmeg. So um, the team, you asked about the team. Mm-hmm. We have Walt Woodward, the state historian, you and me, and we'll bring in a host of other wonderful characters in the history field to talk about our favorite topics. And to what end? What, what's the goal here? I think it's an opportunity to core an extension to the story for maybe a little bit more informal discussion and conversation around the, the, the stories that are in the magazine. Um, sometimes stories have an audio component that you can't get in, a, the, in written form, like sure. the story we have coming up in our winter issue about uh, the uh, Roger Eddy's Audubon bird call of an opportunity to hear that demonstrated, uh, mm. which I'm curious about yeah, because yeah. I'm not a bird. I love, actually, I am a bird watcher kind of informally, but I've never used a bird call. So uh, similar story from the fall issue about uh, the Musical Club of Hartford to have an opportunity to hear some of the music that they perform. And, and what about your audience? There seems to be in the podcast realm people out there who like to consume all kinds of information through an audio format, um, probably in conjunction with reading. But there's certainly times when I'm uh, working on something or eating lunch. Or certainly driving is a good example where you're, you're doing some other activity 
and you have time to listen to something, but you can't put your eyes on the page. So, um, so I, w I would hope that we do find a new audience for people who particularly enjoy a good story and like hearing a good story. So how did it come to be that you hooked up with uh, state historian Walt Woodward? <laughs> well, he is a multi-talented individual, as we, we all know. And uh, I don't, I think I just happened to mention that we were interested in doing this. And he said, well, I want to do that too. Mm -hmm. And we thought, I'm, I'm always a big believer in collaborating. Connecticut Explored is all about collaboration. We have lots of partners that we work with. And so teaming up with someone else who wants to uh, explore the same opportunities seems smart to me. Well, I couldn't agree more. So um, you're just getting started on this? From some of the uh, podcasts I've listened to, part of the fun is the, uh, the audience coming along with you mm -hmm. as you develop your podcast and figure it out, figure out what works and what seems to resonate and what's doable and all, all those kinds of things. So we hope that our audience sort of comes along with us. All right, good. We're <laughs> off to a good start. You know, at its core, history is about stories, and at their core, stories are about storytelling. So what could be more fun or potentially more interesting than to present the incredible stories of Connecticut's past through the spoken word? And sometimes I, I will tell these stories accompanied by the sounds that let you hear the past as well as hear about it. It may sound crazy, and maybe it comes from my years in the recording business, but I really believe the human ear is a great historian and a special kind of historian. We analyze things through the ear differently than through the eye or when we read. If there's a quintessential New England town green one that perfectly matches the storybook image of old-time New England. It has to be that of Lebanon, Connecticut. Here, where Revolutionary War Governor Jonathan Trumbull ran his war office and the French commander Rochambeau grazed his cavalry horses, town residents now walk their pets or power walk while the Congregational Church Carillon dutifully marks the hours, playing hymns every day at 12 and 6. Visitors often remark on how well Lebanon takes care of its historic places, but few know that a great deal of the historic preservation that's occurred in Lebanon for the last 80 years or so has been the gift of one remarkable family. It all began with Mary Trumbull Adams, a descendant of Lebanon's famous Trumbull family, who came to Lebanon's aid after the devastating hurricane of 1938. Ed Tolman, whose father was Lebanon's first selectman and worked frequently on preservation with Mary's son Hugh Trumbull Adams, tells us how the Trumbull philanthropy began. His mother would take rides up into eastern Connecticut, and just like we all do, we take a ride on a Sunday afternoon probably, and she found Lebanon and really fell in love with the little community. The first connection with Mary Trumbull Adams, Hugh's mother, is uh, helping restore the Congregational Church after the 38 hurricane. The steeple fell right into the sanctuary and totally destroyed the church. The fact that John Trumbull, the artist and architect who was Governor Trumbull's son, had designed the church meant something to 
her to begin with. And she decided that if they were going to do it, it would be restored to its original state. Fortunately, detailed original plans for the church still existed. So although it took expert craftsmen and years of work, the church as it was finally completed in 1954 is still a breathtaking example of colonial architectural mastery. The attorney that handled Mr. Adams' estate, every time he comes we go to the Congregational Church and he gets about halfway down the, the aisle and he looks up at the high pulpit and everything and he just stops and he says to me, how can anything so simple be so beautiful? Mary Trumbull Adams' philanthropic commitment to Lebanon left a lasting mark on her son Hugh, a New York financier. And when Mary died soon after the church was completed, he took up the role of preserving Lebanon's historic character with a sense of mission. He had mentioned in an interview I had read that he was friendly with the Rockefellers while they were doing Williamsburg. He kind of, I think, envisioned in his mind Lebanon as a mini Williamsburg, and he wanted to help Lebanon get their buildings back in shape and to uh, help them out where he could. So beginning with the carillon he donated to the church after his mother's death in 1956, Hugh Trumbull Adams began more than a half century of helping Lebanon preserve its past and enhance the present. A fellowship house for the church, a community center, a new town hall and library, all in keeping with Lebanon's colonial character, were only part of Trumbull's philanthropy. He also saw that through grants or outright purchase, many of the colonial-era homes and historic sites that border Lebanon's mile-long green were preserved or restored. One example is a yellow-frame colonial that lines the north side of the green. In 1977, what was known as the Hewitt home on the green here came up for auction, property and contents. Well, of course, the word got around real quick. And an antique dealer from town found out that another antique dealer, who nobody has still knows who he was actually, was going to buy the house. It's unbeknownst to people, Isaac Fitch, uh, the master joiner, who the two front rooms were paneled with his paneling, his designs. Well, this antique dealer figured he'd buy the house, dismantle them, and he was going to sell it to the Metropolitan Museum of Art to be installed in their American exhibit. That was the story that came out through the grapevine, through the antique dealer group. Somehow, the word got sent to Mr. Adams what was going on. Now, here again, this is a house that was built by Jonathan Trumbull, Jr., who was governor of the state of Connecticut from 1798 to, I believe, 1808. And um, again, the son of the original Jonathan Trumbull, the governor, the Revolutionary War governor. So he sent right away and said that he would fund the purchase of the house and he would uh, fund the restoration of it. So that house was saved by Hugh Trumbull Adams. If he hadn't been told about it, the house probably wouldn't even be there today. And what we have up there today is just another beautiful museum in Lebanon, a restored beautiful home. Adams' generosity to the town was remarkable and unprecedented, but it didn't come without expectations. Ed Tolman explains. He's always felt that if he's going to give something, 
you should give something. In, in kind service to him is very important. And uh, a lot of people don't realize what in kind service is. Uh, they think, well, you, we're going to have a match. You're going to match a dollar for a dollar. Well, maybe we're going to match an in kind service hour for a dollar. For example, I remember my father has this little booklet. He wrote down this, kept records. There was about five farmers in Lebanon that took their old farm trucks to Windsor, to the brickyard in Windsor, who had made bricks that were the same as the church, the old clay bricks. And each farmer would get a kid assigned to him. So I'd ride with one of them, and another one of my friends would ride with another farmer. And we would go to the brickyard, and they would load the bricks. But we would come back on Saturday afternoon and hand unload every brick. And then we'd go down, the woman would have a lunch for us. So, in other words, by showing Mr. Adams that we were putting our sweat equity, so to speak, into it, he was happier to give the funding. And that's been uh, something that's been played through all his donations. One of the more impressive of Adams' historic gifts to Lebanon is the campus of the Lebanon Historical Society. While the members of the society had worked many years to build a home for their collections, Adams made sure it would be a site where Lebanon's history could be displayed proudly and in depth. 1993, the Historical Society decided that we should have a museum. And we had saved money. We had antique sales, uh, many, many antique sales. Every year an antique sale in September. And they saved the money for that. We formed a building committee like everybody does. We bought the land. We had some money. We hired an architectural firm. And the first thing that we asked the architects to do was to build it in phases because we knew we would never have enough money to build what we have here today. And I can remember us talking about the fact that where we're sitting now in what we call the multi-purpose room, which looks like a Cape house built, we figured that this would probably be what we could afford with donations and maybe a mortgage. And maybe down the road we'd probably be long gone, but some of our... Lebanites, way down the road, would complete the next phases. We never in our lives thought that this would come to fruition in our, our lifetime. We really didn't. But all of a sudden, we got word that build the whole thing. And checks started coming in. And we built every phase. He paid for everything except that uh, collection storage building, we call it. We got a grant from the state for that. But um, all of a sudden, the money started coming in, and boy, we were in heaven. And um, I can remember at the time mentioning to the committee that we could be opening a terrible can of worms here as far as down the road um, uh, funding this. We have staff here, and uh, just the, the oil and uh, electricity are unbelievable the amount of money we have to spend here to keep this place going. He did like he did with every project. He set up an endowment for us. So he knew that you just don't give money and build something and then just leave. He made sure there was money set aside to keep the place going. Adams was a frequent visitor to Lebanon, checking in on the projects he supported and meeting the people who saw through their development. But for all his involvement and all his concern for the town, he never sought any recognition for his support. He came quite frequently. He would never give a lot of notice. Uh, when my father was first selectman, he would call and say, Russ, I'm in Middletown. 
We're going to be there in half an hour. He didn't want the word to get out that he was coming, so everybody from the tax collector to the town clerk would be waiting at the doorstep of the town hall to see him. When he walked into the room, there was something about him that people kind of looked and said, there's a man that's got something that is special. He definitely had charisma. He was, wasn't a big, tall, tall man, but he dressed wonderfully. He looked like a real Manhattan businessman. But he was a very polite and very uh, friendly, down-to-earth person. Uh, whatever he did, he was very subtle about, and he didn't want any publicity. He never wanted his name put in a paper. He didn't, to this day, his request was that no one would ever know how much money he actually has given to the town of Lebanon. He was uh, not a secretive person, but he just didn't want to be in the limelight, so to speak. Adams continued involving himself in the welfare of his adopted town right up to his death six years ago. But even his passing did not end his concern for Lebanon or his philanthropy. He died October 16, 2009. We got word that he had passed away, which certainly saddened us a lot of us. I mean, this, this man was part of Lebanon. Well, we got letters from the attorneys, and there would be a trust set up for Lebanon. And that um, money can be used for capital improvements to any historic buildings or organizations around the green. It cannot be used for anything of the town. In other words, it can't help pay bills for the town or anything. It's just for historic buildings and to preserve the green and anything around it. Though his name remains unknown to most visitors to this quintessential New England town green, Hugh Trumbull Adams' influence on Lebanon is everywhere, a lasting legacy of what philanthropy at its best can do for a place and its people. If you walk around Lebanon, especially the green area, uh, the walkway, um, trees, planting, so many things that he's contributed to, you'd be hard-pressed not to see his thumbprint on something. His generosity and love for Lebanon still lives on, and I can get teary-eyed about that. To me, what this man did for this town that I love is, is unbelievable. Mr. Adams, thank you. For grading the nutmeg, I'm Walt Woodward. Thanks for listening. We wish to thank Ed Tolman of Lebanon for appearing on our show. On the next episode of Grading the Nutmeg, we'll look at the winter 2015-2016 issue of Connecticut Explored with stories about early 20th century home appliances and Roger Eddy's deceptively simple Audubon bird call. Plus, we'll let you audio speed date a Connecticut history conference. That's next time on Grading the Nutmeg. Thank you.